Very good. Well, as I said earlier, we do have a guest preacher with us this morning. His name is Nathan Bean. He's from Brisbane, Queensland, the Sunshine State. Is that right? Was it sunny when you left? No. No. (laughs) They lied. That's all right. It's all right. We've already given him a hug. He's gotten over the state of origin. We don't need to bring that up. Probably only 10 more times will be okay. But um, Nathan is on team at Hope Centre in Brisbane. Hope Centre is the church where Wayne Alcorn, who's our national president of ACC churches, that's his home church. So Nathan's on team there in a variety of roles. Young adults is one of his main areas of of passion and also the things that he oversees. He's also uh, a service pastor. Um, He's a dad. Got two young boys, Cooper, Emerson, and Beck. Is that the wife? Oh, what a memory. And... um, (laughs) He's a, um, a great young guy. People are going, how, how can we've got Nathan in church this morning? Who, who is Nathan to us? Nothing. Robbo. So Bruce Robbo, our good friend from Globe Church, who's actually, Robbo's been a part of our board this year, just helping us in this new season of church. And Nathan has been down doing their youth camp. So Matt Wildsmith, who preached here while I was away on long service leave, Matt preached here for us. He's been doing their youth camp this weekend. And they said, hey, would you like to have Nathan Bean come and preach for you on Sunday of the long weekend? And I said, yes, because my wife is in Melbourne that weekend and I do not want to have to prepare a message. And Robbo, I trust you. So on Robbo's recommendation and on Matt Wildsmith's recommendation, who are two great people that we as a church trust and have a great relationship with, it is an honour to be able to have Nathan preach with us this morning. So I met him about an hour, two hours ago, and that's all I've got. So with that, we're going to stand and welcome him to come as he shares the word this morning. Let's thank Nathan for being here with us today. Thanks, Thanks, Nathan. Thank you. You may grab a seat. Thank you. I love that, how, how Lottie sort of just distances himself enough from me if I say something weird, and that's, that's fantastic. i really thrilled to be with you this morning, and uh, my senior pastor, Pastor Wayne, says g'day, and uh, when he heard I was coming out here, he said, Lottie is a great guy, you need to speak for him, and I'm like, yeah, all right, I'll give this a go, and so last week I called him up, and you know, we got through some formalities, and then we started talking about the footy, and uh, he really did help my heart. Uh, it was the Thursday morning after State of Origin, and uh, I was down. Uh, I've got to be honest, I was really down. I've I got to just check, is there any Queensland supporters in this room? There's got to be someone. Oh, yeah, praise God. We'll talk afterwards and counsel and pray with each other, and things will be okay. Uh, you know what? Honestly, we were beaten by a better team. We were honestly beaten by a better team. However, <laughs> next time there will be a different team, because I have two names to share with you, Jonathan Thurston and Billy Slater. And uh, can we pray about that right now? No, no. <laughs> it was like, this is a terrible way to build relationship. I'm sorry. Um, but I, I am a Queenslander in my heart. I have been there since the day I was born. I've spent time overseas. But uh, I'm a Brisbane Broncos fan as well, which I know they're hated down here. I'm really in a strange place, aren't I? I'm deep in the heart of, of New South Wales territory. You know, Newcastle Knights, I know. And you know what? The great thing about Newcastle Knights is in my footy tipping comp, I always know they're going to lose. And I love that consistency. (laughs) I just love that consistency, you know, and I appreciate what they're doing with that. Um, They have a good player in Dane Gagai, which is good, a Queenslander, who's just left to go to the Rapidos. Let's not get distracted by footy talk, all right? There's a lot more important things at play here. But I'm really thrilled to be with you this morning and... uh, 
yeah, it's just a great opportunity to come and share with you in this great city. I've never actually been to this region before. First time I was in Newcastle, actually, and a uh, beautiful place. And driving through here, what a, what a beautiful town you live in. And uh, I'm thrilled to be with you this morning. A little bit about me. Uh, I'm married to Beck. I have two boys, Cooper and Emerson. Uh, Cooper's fantastic. He's eight years old. He called me yesterday. He scored three goals at soccer, which is great. And they won. The great thing is, is his poppy, my dad, pays him $2 a goal. Uh, so the second he gets off the field, he's like, cool, Poppy. You know, he made six bucks yesterday so he can buy some toys, <laughs> which is just something's wrong with that, I guess. Um, Emerson is five, turning six. We call him the Incredible Hulk because he's always pretty angry. And uh, he is just the most interesting kid you've ever met. I mean, everyone thinks their kids are amazing, but Emerson's particularly special. Um, his favorite person in the whole world is Steve Irwin. And uh, he, we're yet to tell him that he's, that he's not with us anymore. Um, we kind of been easing him into it, but he hasn't really comprehended it. And he's sort of like, Dad, I want to watch Stevie on TV. He has a lisp, you know. I want to watch Stevie. And it's like, yeah, we'll put Stevie on. And uh, I kid you not, every single day he's in character as a dinosaur or a crocodile. And um, every time, I'm not even making this up just to be funny, but every time I pull him out of the bath, he'll yell out, be like, Dad, come and get me out of the bath and pretend that I'm a crocodile. <laughs> so I have to go in there and he's just switching around. <laughs> You know, I've got to grab the washer and hold it up to him and he like, you know, and <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting but an amazing life and uh, yeah, it's kind of fun. But the, we spent, um, actually the past few years we've been living in the US, we've been back for a couple of years now, uh, but we were there for five years serving a man called Bayless Conley in a place called Orange County, uh, a really hard place to live, Orange County. We were down the street from Disneyland, it was just really difficult and uh, felt the call to come back to boiling hot Queensland, <laughs> but we're, we're glad we have, and we're back serving Pastor Wayne, and uh, we are thrilled to be back there. Do you want to get into the Word this morning? Cool. Now you know that I'm, I'm a real person, and I have Queensland issues, but let's just pray, and let's get into the Word this morning. Father God, we thank you've gathered us in this place this morning. We thank you that your Spirit is here. From the very beginning, you are already here, stirring our hearts, and we choose to press into you this morning. We choose to allow you to speak to us and we pray right now that you would open our hearts to receive your word. We give it its proper place in our lives. We give it authority over our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to read a passage of scripture that is known as a, a Mark and Sandwich, which means the gospel writer Mark has started one story, then gone to another story and then moved on back to the other story, basically a sandwich or I like to say a Mark hamburger. And uh, basically, this story tells us something about the heart of God towards you and I. What He wants to do in our lives is He wants to move us from fear to faith. You know, fear is the dominant emotion that the world experiences. You don't have to go very far. You don't have to look very far online or on TV to notice that the world lives in constant fear. And what the heart of God is for you and I is to not live in darkness and fear, but to live in faith. And sometimes it means that we have a faith that is imperfect, but still a faith that comes to Christ. And what we see in this passage that we're about to read is we see two characters that I would honestly say, they demonstrate an imperfect kind of faith, not the kind of faith that is, you know, up there, you know, breaking down walls and theologically accurate, but they have faith enough in Christ to move from fear to faith. And I really believe that for this community, even this morning, that God wants to move us from fear to faith, but it's not about getting a perfect faith. It's not about getting your theological ducks in a row. It's about coming to Christ despite your circumstances. 
This morning we're going to read that as we read these two characters. So if you have a Bible this morning, Mark chapter 5 verse 21, it should be on the screen. If not, just trust me that it's in there and uh, we'll read this together. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. And in the other accounts, in the other synoptics, Matthew and Luke, it says that he kneeled before him. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying, please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Amazing faith. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and now we get to the middle part of the sandwich. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors, and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. You notice something there, that it was the cures that made her worse, not just the condition. And we do this, don't we, if we're honest, just deviate for a second. We do this, we, we try and find cures to fix what's going on the inside of us. But the cures make us worse. We try and fix it with whatever it may be, whatever substance or dream or relationship or object. And the cure only makes us worse. And she's a picture of this. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? I kind of like it when, you know, the disciples answer with a bit of attitude. You know, it's like, guys, you've got no idea. It's like, you know, it's just like, don't tell Jesus that he's wrong, man. You know, it's going to end bad for you. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembled with fear, told him the whole truth and nothing but the truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Be freed from your suffering. Now we're back to the outside of the sandwich again. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. And we know from the Jewish commentaries, the Mishnah, that actually when you experience a tragedy like this, you're meant to hire in people, professional wailers. And actually, according to the commentaries, it said you've got to have one wailing woman and some flute players, which I could imagine that'd be a terrible job description, you know. One wailing woman, please. No, not today, I'm busy. Why all this commotion and wailing? But they laughed at him as he says, this child is not dead, but asleep. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. The Aramaic is recorded there because we know that it's eyewitness accounts. These words would have echoed in their hearts that they wouldn't be able to overlook the weightiness of these words. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around and she was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. You see the link in the two stories there. The woman had a 12-year condition. And the woman, the girl, was 12 years old. And they are paralleled by these two accounts. What you notice is Jairus. He comes to Jesus and he 
falls at his feet. He is a man who is accustomed to demanding things. He's a synagogue ruler, and yet he comes in humility asking Jesus to move. As a young adults pastor, we have a bunch of people getting engaged right now, and every other weekend I'm doing weddings, which is kind of cool. Uh, but what you notice, and what I always ask the man, I always ask him, because I, I find it interesting, I said, did you get down on one knee? And they're like, yeah, I did. I'm like, scary, isn't it? I'm like, yeah. Because when you're kneeling, you're not in a posture of demanding. You're in a place of having to receive and having to ask for help, having to say, I can't demand you marry me, but would you marry me? And Jairus has got this posture saying, Jesus, I need you to move in my life. And he's approaching with humility. You notice something in that passage is his faith wasn't necessarily perfect. He had probably tried all alternative means and measures beyond wanting to be associated with Jesus. As a synagogue ruler, to be associated with a guy like Jesus meant his career would have definitely ended that moment he interacted with him and began to build a stronger relationship and bring him to his house. And yet Jairus, in his desperation, came to Jesus. And what you see in the woman, what you see in that moment, is she also demonstrates an imperfect faith. You see, she had heard about Jesus And yet her faith said something, if I just touch him, I can be healed. And here's the part of her faith I find interesting is that it is imperfect because I would say that she might not be superstitious, but I reckon she was a little stitious. And when you think about it, that was just so good and and you missed it. And, And it's my favorite part of, anyway. But what you notice in that passage is no one had told her that's what happened. She had gathered her thoughts and gathered information about Jesus and decided that, you know what, I'm going to reach out in faith and touch Him. Two of them demonstrate imperfect faith, faith that is not perfect. And you know, even the posture that they both come to Him, they come to Him in desperation and in need, not just looking for a little bit of life improvement. You know, if we're honest... Sometimes we come to Christ because we know we need a spiritual category. You know, it's like the Oprah Winfrey type faith. You know, everyone's spiritual. Just find whatever it is. And we come to Him, we actually kind of saying, I want to give you my life the way it currently is. Everything I want to do, all my dreams, my desires, everything. And all I want you to do is just improve it a little bit. But what these two characters demonstrate in their desperation is they come to Christ vulnerable, willing for their life to actually completely change from that moment. And I want to ask you this morning, do you sort of come to Christ and say, here is everything I want to do and I want you to just improve it slightly. I want you to just give me a slightly better version of my life because I like the idea of Jesus out of all the religions. I like Jesus. He sounds like the nicest of them all. And I want you to improve my life slightly. And yet Jesus wants to come into our life and give us a completely different life. He wants to change our dreams and change our plans and change the very trajectory of our faith and do it radically. And sometimes we only give Him this bit of our lives. And so what we're looking for is not a saviour, but a supporter. What we see in this passage is these two characters didn't come to Jesus looking for a bit of moral support. Someone who could just add a bit to their life. They were in need of a saviour. See, I want to even challenge us a little bit this morning as I'm, you know, feeling fairly comfortable with you at the moment, so I'll just go there. Sometimes I think we have a, a grandfather-type faith idea of God in our lives. And here's what I mean by this, you know, my, my two boys, uh, my mum and dad, 
and Beck's mum and dad, they just spoiled them rotten. You know, like even, even Friday, I get home, there's an Xbox game sitting at the front door. And it's like, oh, come on, man, I can't keep up with that. But here's what I've noticed about grandparents. And any grandparents in the room, you're going to be with me. Here's what I know about you. You just want to be liked by your grandkids. Do <laughs> you want. You give them everything. Do you want that? Yeah, have it. You know, can I jump off there? Go ahead. You know, grandparents just want to be liked. But as a father, I have to shape mature, good human beings. So I was like, you know, make it easier for us, grandparents. Just stop giving them cool things all the time. <laughs> and sometimes I think in our faith, we have a grandfather idea of our God in heaven. That He only gives me things that I want. He only does what I ask of Him. But He wants to actually grow you because you, he does, He's not a grandfather in heaven. He's described as a father in heaven. That means He won't give me everything I want all the time. But I've got to trust Him. It means sometimes I bring things before Him and it goes the opposite way do I want. But you know what? My Father in heaven is doing something in me. My Father in heaven sees. My Father in heaven's ways are higher than my ways. And it means that I have to trust Him even when I don't get everything I want. And these characters come to Him with everything on the table. They're not saying, I want you to just make this part of my life a little bit better. They've got to come to Him as Savior. And that is what they do. And as this woman comes to Him with this imperfect faith, I find it interesting. It says this in verse 27. When she heard about Jesus, she thought to herself, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. It's amazing that she combines what she's heard with an act of faith. And she receives healing into her life. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 4.2 that they didn't enter life because they received the gospel, what they heard, but they didn't mix it. They didn't combine it with faith. What this woman demonstrates, and granted, maybe a little imperfectly, maybe a little superstitious, but she hears something about Jesus and combines it with faith and action to receive her miracle. And I want to ask you, right now in your own life, in your own journey of faith, are you combining what you're hearing about Christ with actions of faith? Are you spending time in the Word that is building your faith and building your faith and is beyond information and causing you to take action in areas of your life perhaps you've never done before? We know out of Romans 10 that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. She gathered information and then responded in faith. Are you building that into your own life? You know, while we were overseas, uh, we left when, when Cooper was five months old. We went to live over in the U.S. and we obviously took him with us. And, um, and we had another son over there. But uh, as he was sort of, you know, I guess, you know, just growing in, in Beck's tummy or however the technical term is, obviously, yeah, there's a better way to say it. And, uh, you know, we got a pretty bad report about him. Um, they had done some scans on him and they had said that he had uh, cysts on his, on his brain, in his head, uh, which were soft indicators for all kinds of uh, birth defects. And uh, when I heard that, you know, it kind of rocks you. They're the kind of calls you never want to receive. And I know for some of you, it, it's very much the same in that case or other cases in your own personal life. And, and I remember hearing that. And I remember being really devastated. So you know what I did? I, I went home, shut the door, fell to my knees, and I Googled his condition. <laughs> Keeping you on your toes this morning. I did. I Googled it. Yeah, I Googled it for a while. And did all the research and looked at all the symptoms and looked at all the things and looked at all these like quasi-medical people. But let me tell you something, I didn't get comfort from Google. 
My life wasn't changed about because I looked up Google. Faith wasn't built in me because I Googled it. It's not until I turned to the Word of God and I began to stand on the Word of God and I began to declare health and healing over my young boy that actually faith rose up and it caused action in my life to reach out to believe for a miracle. And I want to tell you, that, thank you, nearly, we nearly got there. And I want to tell you, he got completely healed and whole and he's never had a symptom or anything at all quite like that. I mean, he's angry a lot of the time, but that's a separate issue. <laughs> that's how he's being raised. But I want to tell you, with what report you've got right now, with what's happening in your life, moving from fear to faith, are you filling your heart with the Word of God? Are you turning to that first before you flick on the news and allow fear to grip your heart? Are you filling your heart with the Word of God and then responding in faith? Well, the news may be saying this, but by faith, I believe that darkness will not overcome. I believe light will conquer. I believe His love will end up conquering. And are you in that place where, like this woman, even though she didn't have a perfect faith, she combined what she heard with actions of faith? And what I love about this character in the story is that she teaches us something so important about when we come to church and when we enter His presence, is proximity is very different to intimacy. There would have been so many people that the literal language says that the crowd was thronging. It was a rugby scrum. They were all touching him. They were all reaching him. But only one was noticed because only one reached out in faith. And that tells you something. You can be in a crowd, you can gather in a church, and you can never press in. We can come every week and we can tick the box of attendance and we can be great participants and we can do all that. But have you pressed into the presence of God? Have you given your own life over and not come to Him as saying, add a little bit this week to my life and I'll be happy, but are you bringing everything entirely to Him and reaching out in faith saying, God, You're my Lord, You're my Savior, I need You in my life. And that's what this woman demonstrates to us. But she also demonstrates this amazing imperfect faith. One writer says it better than I can. He says, it's not the strength of your faith that matters, but the object of your faith. Think about it. Our culture says the exact opposite thing, doesn't it? Our culture basically says this. It doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you believe it's strong enough. Well, the Bible says, actually, it really matters what you believe, even if it's not that strong. Because it is the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, that actually gives you saving faith. And our culture likes to tell us, well, just believe whatever you want, but believe it strongly. And Jesus says, no, no, no. The important thing is even if you have a weak faith, believe in me. Yeah. I'm sure you know the story well. And I, I love that we sang about it this morning that I guess, you know, no longer a slave to fear. But we talked about the people of Israel crossing over on dry land. You know, I love in Exodus 12, you read about the Passover. For a moment, I just want to kind of share around that because I think it demonstrates an imperfect faith, but a faith that still reaches out reaches out to Him, strong enough, even though it may be a little bit weak. You know, Exodus 12, the people are commanded, it's the Passover, to put the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts. I'm sure you know it's the last plague and it would be the one that would release the people of Israel. And Moses instructs the people, take a lamb and take the blood and put it over the doorpost. And the angel of death will pass you by where we get the celebration of Passover from in the, in the Israelite culture. And imagine a scene like this. Imagine one family, they hear Moses is going to do this. They hear this plague is going to come through and wipe out the firstborn. And so one family member, they gather together and they take the lamb, they take the blood and they put it on the doorpost. And they've done that and now they're standing there in faith and they're confident. And they're like, you know what? 
I'm going to stand here on the very edge of my door. I'm going to watch that angel of death come by and nothing's going to happen. And this is going to be a great night. We're going to be delivered. You know, one person, confident, on the doorpost. Yeah, kids gather around. going to be a great night, you know. And they're watching this happen. Another family, down the corner a little bit. They're not so sure. They like Moses. They kind of like the idea of what's going on. And they're not so sure. But you know what? They do the same thing. They, they get the lamb. They take the blood. They put it on the doorpost. But they're not standing at the front door waiting for this angel of death to come by, waiting for things to change. They're, they're kind of coward in a back room. And they're scared. And they're shuddering. And the family's together. And I'm not sure if this is going to work. I, I hope it's going to work. I hope we don't get wiped out, but I'm not sure. Let me ask you this morning, which family gets saved? Both families get saved. The one who's confident and, and does it boldly, yes, they get saved. The one who still does it and is shaking in fear, they get saved. And you know what that tells me? It means this. It doesn't matter how strong your faith is. It means it's faith enough to come to Him. Faith enough to actually do what He asks you to do. Even if some days you feel like you've got this much faith, but you're standing under it, you still have life change. You still have faith enough to come to Him. I want to encourage your hearts this morning. And maybe some of you, if you're honest, you've been through some stuff of late and some things haven't worked out. And maybe you're not in this place of confidence, but you're in this place of really low confidence, but you have faith enough to be here this morning. You have faith enough to get up tomorrow and go, oh, Jesus, I don't understand, but I believe in you. I, I trust you with my life. I, I've declared you as, as Lord over my life and I, I'm going to continue in that. And it's faith enough to put that on the doorpost. You see, this woman has this imperfect faith, but she has enough faith to come to him. You see, the woman represents this sort of religious imperfect faith, but Jairus, he represents this theological imperfection. And what you notice in Jairus is that he wouldn't have believed Jesus is who he was. He was a synagogue ruler. He was meant to be waiting for probably someone else, someone who would dominate the Romans. And yet, in his desperation, he still came to him. What's interesting about the Jairus story is this, is that the story goes from just needing a healing, a, a quick healing from a disease, to then needing a miracle. I can't imagine how Jairus must have felt. He's come to Jesus first. I mean, it's like, you know, order of priority. You know, I'm here first. And Jesus, in one sense, you know, practices, you know, medical malpractice. It's like, you know, dude, my... My daughter is, is in a bad way. She is dying. And you're healing this woman and you're distracted and you're taking your time with it. I don't know if you've ever been in an ER room before, but like, you know, when you sit in, a, in an ER room, you do your own kind of personal triage, don't you? You know, you look around the room and you're like, okay, what do we got in here? What do we got in here? Okay, we've got a severed head. Okay, you should be seen next. You know, um, you look fine. You just need some cauldral, you know, Panadol, you know. And, and you kind of do your own thing. And it's really annoying when that person who was here after you just sort of gets up and strolls in, you're like, they're not sick. You know, this is having a bad day. You know, I'm really sick. See me first. I could only imagine Jairus would be experiencing this. He sees Jesus almost distracted by this other woman. And what's happening for Jairus is that the condition is worsening. And he gets that report. Firstly, we needed a miracle that should get healed. And now we need a resurrection. And I love Jairus because you know what he does? He just stays. He just stays with Jesus. 
Jairus doesn't go and take matters into his own hands and try to solve the problem. He just stays with Jesus because he starts to realize if he could do this for this woman, he could do this for me. There's two ways to sometimes see miracles in other people's lives. Sometimes you can see it from a religious perspective and you see someone else get a miracle. And sometimes you start to ask yourself, what is it that you did? What was the secret formula? What was that, that special thing? Was it a certain prayer? Was it giving? You, you tithe a lot that week, didn't you? That's how you got that miracle. Is that what it is? You know, you start to look at other people's miracles and you can look at it from a religious perspective that is actually saying, what do I need to do, God, to impress you? What do I need to do in order to get that miracle? Or there's another way to do it altogether, and that is this, just staying in His presence, hanging on to the greatest promise of all, I am with you. John 16, 33, Jesus says, in this life, you will have trouble. That's a promise no one's claiming this morning. In this life, you'll have trouble, but what? Take heart, I have overcome the world. And when we need a breakthrough, we need a miracle in our lives, when we need Him to really do something so significant, we have a tendency to lean towards religion and try and land on a formula. And what Christ wants us to do is to stand on the promise that He is with us no matter what we're doing, no matter where we're going in the midst of our circumstances. Some of you this morning, I just feel to encourage you. Maybe you need breakthrough in your life. Maybe you are transitioning from fear to faith, but maybe you're getting caught up in the religiousness of it all. Maybe you're trying to get the formula right. God, I've been doing way more devotions. I've been praying more regularly. I've been giving. I've been turning up more. And it hasn't happened for you. I want to encourage you this morning. Remain consistent in those areas, but realize beyond the religion, what He wants is the relationship. You see, you notice Jairus actually gets more than what he bargained for. He came looking for a healing, now he needed a resurrection. And sometimes in the delay, that happens for us. Sometimes between where we want to be and where we are, there is a delay and the miracle only increases. I always find it interesting in John 11, you know, they get to report that Lazarus, one of his best friends apparently dies and then he waits two more days. I always find that fascinating. It's like, could you just get a kick along, man, and start leaving right away? But you know what happens in the passage? The, the two days go by and eventually he gets to Lazarus and he raises Lazarus and then what happens? An entire crowd has gathered around and they've witnessed a miracle. You see, what God does in the delay is he increases his glory. It may not be what we want, but again, he's a father, not a grandfather. It may not be how we want it, but in that moment, he's exercising a miracle that is far more significant than what you and I could realize. When Beck and I uh, were planning on going to America and we got the call to go, I you know, by faith, we sort of stepped out and we resigned at church and put our stuff in storage, rented our house out and preparing to leave. And uh, we prepared to be there within a matter of weeks. And those weeks turned into 18 months as we couldn't get a visa. And uh, it went after one thing after another. And, you know, what seemed to be just a little step of faith now is becoming an increasingly large giant leap. And in that time, I needed a house, I needed a job, I needed to put stuff in storage and Beck was pregnant with Cooper. And so all of a sudden, it goes from this little faith step to getting overseas with, with just Beck and I, to now having to get a job while I'm here, to getting a house while I'm here, to getting storage and having a baby. It went from this to a giant leap. But the amazing thing that God actually did is that He was working all things out to maximize His glory and maximize His impact. 18 months went by, we eventually get a visa. And we end up heading over to Long Beach, where we ended up staying for the first year of being over there. 
was staying with these people whose house was not available four weeks before but now became available as we stayed with them while we're there a friend of mine who who called me up he just said hey you know that guy bear grills he's actually a, a guy at the time who i'd watched his show he has his show um you know where he kind of does crazy things in the wild and at the time bear grills had a show that was watched by one third of the world he had the largest audience a billion people watched his show talk about profile anyway we're staying in this house that all of a sudden we're staying in that we weren't meant to be staying in how we got there earlier and he said you know bear grills is filming down the street from you i'm like oh that's interesting so i walk over and he's filming literally on the street we're staying on he's pretending to drive a car into a river which is quite normal for him um, as he's a survivalist and, and all the rest of it and one thing led to another and i walked over there and I, I just yelled out and i said hey bear i'm nathan i'm from australia he's like hey mate and then sort of carries on with the filming and, and all the rest of it as this show is quite huge i stood there for a while sort of just staring at him awkwardly um about 10 minutes later he came over and we chatted and i handed him my son cooper i said please hold him let's get a photo you know and kind of cool and i took cooper back obviously and you know we begin to walk back to the house and i told him he's like what are you doing here i said i just arrived here i'm working in a church kind of down the road there we begin to walk back to the house and this black suv races up beside us and slams on its brake and bear grills was there and he said hey you know and he nicky gumbel is his pastor actually and uh he's a dedicated christian and he said hey so you're working in this church yeah just up there because you reckon you'd want me to you know come and hang out with you i'm like yeah that might be cool so we sort of exchanged email addresses um and i and, and i'm like ah oh, nothing's going to come of it and you know like your wife always has to calm you down you know and so like that night i go home and and, and she's like yeah, look i know you're excited but he's not going to email you all right i'm like okay all right you know and then i wake up the next morning super early 6 30 and he'd emailed and i was like oh my goodness oh my goodness you know like <laughs> i can't believe this and, and i looked at the email and i said you know i'm just thinking about it would you want me to come and speak at your church and i'm like yeah, like you know you reply don't reply straight away give it at least five minutes you know <laughs> absolutely you know i'm brand new actually i've only just started at my new job let me check with my senior pastor because that's probably a good thing to do you know he's like yeah sure check out long story sort of cut short bear grills came and spoke at our church he didn't want one cent for it you know his appearance fee is fifty thousand dollars he didn't want one sent for it he repels down from the ceiling that night when he comes and preaches we had three thousand people in our meeting that night and over 300 people got saved because i met him in the street crazy stuff i'll tell you this though 18 months ago i wish i just got into the u.s i didn't have to tell that cool story but in god's timing in god's plan i went from just needing a little bit of faith to now needing a huge leap of faith and through it all what was god doing he was increasing his glory not so i just have a good life but he could impact hundreds of people through the miracle and sometimes in your life it looks a little bit like that and you're hanging on for something and you're like god i just just want this little tiny thing to happen for me it's not huge it's not significant it's not i just want you to and god's saying i know but it might look like it's getting worse but i'm still there in the midst of it i'm still there giving you breakthrough and i'm preparing to maximize my glory in your life you see a crowd began to gather around jairus and he needed not just a healing of a disease but he needed a resurrection and you know what is so amazing about him is he just stays verse 36 he says this don't be afraid just believe 
See, both characters got more than what they bargained for. For the woman, she had to come forward and tell the whole story. But she received more than that. You know, he calls her daughter, which is significant. She would have been excluded from the community and now she's daughter. She's actually brought back in and she got more than what she bargained for. Jairus, with his faith, he received more than what he bargained for. He wanted a little miracle and now he needed something miraculous, even on a greater level, a resurrection. And for you and I, it's the same thing. For you and I, I think he's calling us even this morning to move from fear to faith, to begin to increase the word in our life so we can step out in faith and begin to move. And maybe some of us this morning, you've had a report that was this and you needed a breakthrough and now it's gotten even worse and now you need a crazy miracle story. Jesus this morning is encouraging us just even in your imperfection, even if you don't understand it all, just remain with me because I am right there with you in the midst of it all. Team, you can come and join me on stage then. I just want to pray for some people if that's all right. He says this, don't be afraid, just believe. What is he doing there in verse 36? He's letting him know the greatest promise we have in the scripture that I am with you. A few weeks ago, I played golf at one of my favorite golf courses. I'm a keen golfer, which means I like it, but it doesn't like me. I'm not very good at it, but I love it. You know, we started the round and there's some people who had carts and we were walking and I did the polite thing is what you do in golf. I'm sure many of you know this. You, you say, if you guys are driving, you guys go ahead of us. And they're like, no, 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 we'll go slow. Cool. We get to the sixth hole and I'm standing on the green and the people behind me, their ball rolls past my feet, which anyone knows this, even if you're not a golfer. There's, there's one rule in golf. The first rule is this, don't be rude. <laughs> it's rude to hit your ball at another human being. It doesn't take much to figure that out. So after a while, I was like, you know, that, that's okay. And they raced down and said, oh, I hit it so good. I didn't realize I could have hit it that far. Yeah, right. And I was like, okay, that's fine. We let it sort of go. We get to the ninth hole and I'm standing sort of in this valley and the ball again rolls past my feet. I'm like, well, this just isn't on because the first rule of golf is don't be rude. Second rule is don't be rude. And they were being rude. So I did what any Christian brother would do. I pulled out my four iron and I hit it straight back to him (laughs) because he'd obviously lost it. And it was the best shot I hit all day. (laughs) It was the first one that went straight. And the next one didn't because I was so charged with adrenaline. It was like, ah, three meters. Now, what I don't tell you about that story is this. I wasn't playing on my own. I was playing with two other friends. One of them, six foot three, ex-military security guard who really knows how to handle himself. You know what? It makes a lot of difference who's with you. Look at me, I'm scrawny. I I, I talk my way out of situations. I never fight. But when you know someone's with you, you can take on almost anything. You get that confidence. What Jesus says to Jairus, what Jesus does with that woman, what he wants to do this morning, he wants to remind you of his greatest promise in all of Scripture, that I am with you even to the end of the age, even when your situation doesn't make sense, even if it looks like it's going from bad to worse, even if your faith is imperfect this morning, even if your faith isn't as strong as you wish it was, Jesus this morning wants to say, I am with you. I'm standing with you. You don't have to fear hell, death and the grave and anything that life throws at you because you know what? I am with you. That changes things in your heart. changes what you see. It changes the circumstances you go back through because you know 
if he can defeat hell, death, and the grave, he can help me in my situation. His ways are higher than my ways, even if I don't understand it. Let me pray for some people this morning, and then we'll close. Why don't you bow your heads and, and close your eyes this morning? I would love to pray for some people this morning. I'll pray for two groups. The first group is maybe people who don't normally come into church. Maybe you're not a regular attender. Maybe this is your very first time here. Or maybe it's your 10th time here and you've been coming a while, but you've been around Jesus for a long time, but you've never crossed over to giving Him your life. Maybe you're like the people in the crowd who are thronging around Jesus, but they didn't reach out in faith to Him. They didn't hand their life over to Him. They didn't look eyeball to eyeball with him they just wanted to be around him this morning maybe that's people in this place maybe you like the idea of jesus maybe you like the idea of christianity but you've never prayed a serious prayer that actually has said jesus i make you lord of my life it's a posture of humility that jairus demonstrates and it's one that says i'm not just wanting to add you to my life i want to give you my life I'm sure there's people in this place that may need to pray that prayer and you've got questions. I've got heaps of them, don't worry. It doesn't mean all your questions get answered, but it does mean this, that your life changes from that moment as His presence enters your life and heart. It is about eternity and salvation and life with Him, but really abundant life now, today, not just later on. This morning, I want to pray for you. Maybe you never prayed a serious prayer to open your heart to Him for the first time. Or maybe you have and you've drifted and you've gained control of your life again and you're just doing it your way. But this morning, you want to come back to Him and say, God, I give you my life. I give you all that I am. I turn my rights of independent living over to you and I trust you with my life from this moment forward. If you want to pray that prayer, I want to pray for you right where you sit. I'm not going to drag you forward, but if you need to pray that this morning, just go ahead and shoot your hand up. I'll acknowledge it. You can put it straight back down. I will not drag you forward. I will not embarrass you, but you're saying, I want to pray that prayer to invite Him into my heart for the first time. I'm going to count to three and then we'll close. If you've got to do that, just shoot your hand up. I will not drag this out. Awesome. I see you here, my friend. Awesome. You really mean that. That's great. I'm going to count to three and then we'll close. One, two, three. God, I pray for this life right now, this heart that is coming fully alive. God, I thank you that Your word says all of heaven rejoices when one returns to you. And I thank you right now for that heart returning to you. We pray your promise over that heart right now. Wash his heart with your grace, your love, your forgiveness. And remind him in this moment that you're his Lord, you're his Savior, and that you are with him right now in this moment. We thank you for that supernatural transaction taking place. That's why your heads are bowed and eyes are closed for one moment longer. I just want to pray for some people who, if you're honest, uh, you're just like these characters in this story. There's things going on for you that you need breakthrough. It may be hugely significant. It it may not be such a big deal, but you're saying, God, I, I need breakthrough in my life. I need to be reminded that you are with me in the midst of it all. Maybe you've had a bad report. Maybe you've had some things happen to you that you haven't got through of yet. And you just need to know this morning that just like Jairus and that woman, that he is near to you. And I want to pray over you just where you sit. I want to pray a greater dimension of his presence and love with you as you know that he's standing beside you in the midst of it all. So if you need that this morning, you need breakthrough in your life. You need to turn around your life. You need that situation to just completely turn around for good, for his glory. Just go ahead and shoot your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Awesome all over this place, a bunch of us. Thank you for being honest this morning. 
Go ahead and put your hand on your heart. I'm going to pray for you. Father God, just like these characters in this short story, we come to you with not a perfect faith, but a faith that says we trust you. God, I pray for every heart, every hand that responded in that moment. God, for a greater dimension of your presence, a greater understanding of your greatest promise of all, that you are with them and they can face anything. God, even when they don't understand it, even when it looks like this report is going from bad to worse, I pray right now for a greater sense of your presence, a greater understanding that you are in control even when it doesn't make sense. I pray you touch them in their heart right now. I pray that as they go back home, as they go back to work or school this week, that they would have this strong sense that you are near to them. You are working all things together for good and that you can be trusted because you're our good Father in heaven. I pray you deposit that in people's hearts even now. Let them leave with a boldness and confidence knowing they can take heart in you because you are with them. Thank you, Jesus, for the promise of your presence upon your people. In your name, amen. Nathan, give me a hand.